Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. All right. Everybody thought out? Everybody thought out? All right. Just making sure. I think we all learned that Texans don't handle cold very well. It's just, it's just a, uh, it's not a slap. It's just a true statement, I think. All right. I'm glad you guys are here today and uh, very, very thankful that, you know, many of you guys are doing much better. I know some of you guys lost power and water. Uh, one or the other or both, and, you know, many people stepped up this week, and I appreciate that in our church, and even others that have stepped up in our community to really help and lend a hand and really make an impact on other people. So that's an awesome thing, and really those that were impacted and those that made an impact on those, you should try to return the favor, not necessarily to those people, but to other people as well. just want to encourage you to do that. Habakkuk chapter number two. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read God's word this morning, and we'll kind of jump into the message Today I'd planned to preach this last Sunday, and then with uh, Texopolis or Snowmageddon or whatever you want to call it, it was not a blizzard, people. Okay, I've been in a blizzard. I just want you to know that. It was not a blizzard. But it was snow, and it was ice, and it was dangerous. But anyway, we kind of ventured off a little bit different last week, and I hope you listened and watched the the message, and I hope you enjoyed it. But we're going to pick up in chapter 2. We're going to be in the first five verses this morning of Habakkuk. Let's go ahead and start in verse number one. This is where we left off a couple weeks ago. Habakkuk had been questioning God, trying to figure out what's going on in his life and in the, the, the really Judah and, and just trying to figure out what God is doing. And this series is about, you know, really when God doesn't make sense, when God doesn't answer our, our questions the way that we think he should. So Habakkuk had been pouring his heart out to God because of Judah's sin and, and God kind of went a different direction and said, all right, I'm going to first of all, use a wicked nation to help you. And again, it just blew Habakkuk's mind. He couldn't figure it out. Verse number one of chapter two, it says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. So after he has questioned God and, you know, God has given him a first answer, he's basically saying, all right, God, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for your answer. Almost, it's not necessarily in defiance, but it's almost like, all right, Go ahead, prove yourself to me, God. It's kind of what I take from this passage. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, and that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It's not going to delay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now, this phrase is also found in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians. Paul uses this phrase. Martin Luther, the great reformer, used this phrase as well. Verse number five, Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto all nations, and heapeth them to him all people. Now again, some of the wording as we continue on in chapter 2, it's really hard to kind of decipher and hard to make sense of. And that's what we're going to try to do in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of lessons, to try to figure out what God is trying to teach Habakkuk here. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And Lord, Lord, we are thankful that we can come and reconvene and, and meet again together, Lord. And we think of all the many that were affected, the thousands upon thousands, and really even millions that were affected this past week here in Texas and all over the country. 
And God, I pray that you'd be with those that might still be without heat and really the ones that are struggling with flooding in their house and their homes and their businesses. A lot of just destruction has happened, Lord. So we're uh, lifting those people up, those individuals up, those families up. And I pray that this would be a, a time that people could draw closer to you and realize that, again, if, if they survived and lived through it, they have a lot to be thankful for, that, yes, they may have lost some stuff, but they still have their life. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that the life that we have is meant to be lived for you, and we don't know how long we have upon this earth. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless those that are out working today in the midst of all this and be with the ones that are here. I pray that this message would be an encouragement and a challenge to us all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. How many have ever been disoriented? Anybody? Yeah, I think a lot of us have. Um, I'm not going to ask that question right now. We'll probably dive a little bit deeper into that in EQ time. But there's a lot of reasons why we feel disoriented. Uh, I, I've been there. You've been there many times over. Uh, a lot of times what happens in my life when I'm disoriented is I don't see clearly. And I'm not necessarily talking about my actual vision, but I don't make wise choices. I don't make wise um, uh, decisions in my life. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is this. You know, there's an amazing progression that is going to occur starting in chapter 2, because it really, there's only three chapters, this, this book. It's, it's an amazing story, but it's an amazing progression that Habakkuk experiences, because he goes from a major sense of disorientation to a significant reorientation. He is being reoriented, an understanding of who God is in these trying times. Our reorientation must be centered on not trying to see things clearly. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. But in trusting God when things don't make sense. I think a lot of times in our life we're always trying to find clarity in life. And clarity is good. But sometimes if we saw things clearly all the time, you know what it would cause us to do? To not trust God. To not rely on God. And yes, it's important to be able to see things clearly but clarity is not necessarily the end goal. Trusting God is what we're trying to do. Trusting God to help to see as he sees. The solution to a troubled heart is not necessarily having clarity in life, but trusting God when you cannot see clearly. And that's what we're going to try to circle back to a little bit later in this message. And as we've walked through Habakkuk thus far in the two or three lessons we've had, the messages here in chapter 1, again, he is pouring his heart. This is a conversation between him and God. Pouring his heart out to God for the injustice, the inconsistency that he has seen or seemingly sees that God is not dealing with his people. And then verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, God kind of blows his mind. He's like, hey, I'm going to answer you, but you're never going to believe it, even if I told you what I'm going to do. And what he does is I'm going to use a wicked, wicked nation to judge Judah, to, to judge the Israelites. And again, in Habakkuk's mind, it doesn't make sense. God, that's not what you do. You don't use someone that is wicked, that is, that is terroristic. You don't use uh, an evil nation to judge your own people. So in chapter 1, what we saw is that the heart of the problem of Habakkuk was his, was his sense of God's indifference and inconsistency. You know, God says, I'm going to bring justice, but through the invasion of your enemy. Now, this tells us a very important truth. God doesn't always rush 
to defend himself and immediately relieve Habakkuk's first complaint. I think sometimes we pour our heart out to God and we, we expect God, all right, God, you have to defend yourself to me. <laughs> like, I'm the one in charge here, so you have to answer to me. But that's not how it works, is it? That's not how it should work. That's what we do sometimes. But what we need to understand is that God doesn't just rush to defend himself to us. He doesn't necessarily immediately relieve Habakkuk's first complaint. He's not afraid to have things get worse before they get better. And really, what God is going to be telling Habakkuk in chapter 2 especially, and even next week as we'll look at it, things are, if you think things are bad now, just wait. They're about to get worse. So think about, think about it in, in, in our own country, in our own state. Now, it was, it was a rough week. It really was for a lot of people. Now, imagine if that was just like, okay, that was a bad week, but it's about to get far worse. You think one week was bad? How about a month? How about a year? How about two years? And you're like, nope, I'm going to Florida, going to somewhere tropical, uh, Cancun, whatever. Uh, I'm out of here. But again, in Habakkuk's mind, it doesn't make sense, but God is trying to teach him some things. What Habakkuk is basically questioning God, God, how can you do this? Why would you do this? And that's the key to this book. It's a dialogue between a frustrated man and God. And a God whose ways Habakkuk doesn't understand. Again, the issue isn't Judah. It's not her sin. The issue isn't Habakkuk and his doubts. The issue is always God. In all of our life, the issue is always God. Do we trust him? So the question I want you to try to answer in your mind this morning is this. How do you trust in God when you can't see things clearly? Now, don't answer. That's what I want us to try to answer this morning, and even in your heart. How do you trust God when you can't see things clearly? Because the reality is we don't see things clearly. All we see is what is right in front of us, the immediate initial problem. We can't see the grander picture. We can't see every detail about what is going to happen. And in Habakkuk's mind, it's not fair that God is going to use an ally of Satan to judge his own people. It's like I, I gave kind of an illustration in our own terms for America. It'd be like God saying, all right, I'm going to use Antifa or a very, very bad terrorist organization, whatever, to judge the church of her sins. Like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't think anyone here would be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. No, nobody in here probably like, that doesn't make sense at all. Why, why would God do that? So in, in Habakkuk's mind, it's, it's very similar. Babylon is, is wicked, and we've talked about some of their wickedness, some of their, some of their evil, their, their sins. And after everything that we talked about in chapter 1, basically chapter 2 starts out, hey, I'm going to go and watch and see what God is going to say to me about my complaint. You know, Habakkuk is going to learn a very important lesson that we need to learn, or continue to learn, that God is worth the wait. And this is kind of where things get feisty in some ways. You know, he's basically kind of a, doing a mic drop here, like, all right, I'm going to go stand, I'm going to go watch. God, you're going to answer me. But, you know, again, in his mind, he is expecting God to answer him the way that he thinks he should answer. Now, here's the truth. And we hit on this a couple weeks ago as we closed. Waiting, 
lack of a better adjective, it's just, it's tough, right? Nobody likes to wait. Nobody. I mean, especially in our society, especially in America, you know, we are a very microwave society. We want things right now, right? Hey, I want this done right now on my timetable. I don't care what else is going on. It needs to be done right now, right? I mean, anybody like that? Yeah, we're all like that. Well, I know these people have problems, whatever, but I need my life straightened out right now. Right now. But it, it doesn't always work like that with God. And we do that sometimes. God, or yeah, aren't you taking care of my problem? Sometimes God says, hey, why don't you just wait? Why don't you just trust me so I can show things to you and reveal things to you? Again, things that have happened in my life, when they happen, I didn't always know at the time why they happened. And honestly, sometimes it's been 5, 10, 15 years down the road. I still don't understand. Things are starting to become a little bit more clear to me. But what God has been trying to teach me in my life countless times is, hey, I want you to wait. And here's the reality. Here's what happens, at least for me. Maybe this happens for you. Oftentimes in our waiting, you know what we do? We complain. Anybody? Anybody good complainers in here today? All right, Susan, Chuck, uh, Ryan. Okay, okay, we got several people that are good complainers. Carmen? No, David. Oh, okay, gotcha. Very good. (laughs) Both of you. We got several kids as well. All right. A lot of us are good complainers. I'm not going to ask, you know, what you complain about. and like I'm not going to do that today. I don't want to hear those things. But we are good at complaining. I am good at complaining. Because I don't like to wait. I've told you many times, jokingly, that I'm a very patient person when I want to be, but most of the time I'm not very patient. I mean, that's, that's all of us, right? We are not very patient people in general, and especially when it's something that we expect God to do right now, and he's not answering us. He's not giving us the answer that we want. You know, I think Amanda referenced this. Uh, we do a podcast. We try to do it weekly. Sometimes we have to skip. We skipped this past week. But I think she referenced it the, the last time we did the podcast. You know, you think about it with your kids. Our, our kids have done this many times, and I know those that have had kids have done this too. How many have ever, you know, you bought your kids something, you, you surprised them with something, it wasn't their birthday, it wasn't Christmas, and then like 10 minutes later, it's like, you never do anything for me. Anybody? Yeah, it's like, yeah, amen, preach it right there. Stop, all right, we're not. But uh, <laughs> our, kids, our kids have done that. And, you know, she, she, we were talking about Habakkuk and other things, and, you know, she gave that illustration. It's, it's, it's so perfect because it happened even a couple weeks ago. Um, I think we, we got the boys something, surprised them with just something from Amazon or whatever, and literally, like, 10 minutes later, it was like, you guys never do anything for me. Give me that gift back, you ungrateful child. <laughs> like, I, I, I just spent my money on you to do something for you. I mean, same thing at Christmas. I never get anything. All right, whatever. All right, let's continue on. But we do that with God, don't we? God, you never do anything for me. You never answer my prayers. You never answer my requests. I'm always just waiting, waiting, waiting. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? Now, we might not act as childish as kids. Actually, sometimes we act more childish. But for me, here's, here's what it has to go back to. And, and I've said it before, but if the only thing God ever did was save us, that alone is enough. Just Again, let that sink in. If the only thing God ever did was save us, that alone should be enough. But it's not, is it? What have you done now? Why aren't you answering me now? 
But here's the truth, people. We have to start with salvation. Jesus has offered us salvation. He has given us a new identity, and it's still not good enough because we're too focused on ourselves instead of focusing on who we are. You see, the word wait in Hebrew means to hope, to expect, to look forward to, to wait. We must look forward with hope of what God is going to do. And as God starts to answer in chapter 2, and we're going to see this more next week and even in the week to come. As God starts to answer, it's an amazing, almost like that light bulb moment. It's like, oh, I get it. It's still not in my timetable the way that I feel like it should work. I get it now, God. (laughs) You're not doing something foolish. You're not doing something that that really doesn't make sense. It does make sense. You see, here's the truth. God doesn't forsake us. He will never forsake us. Never has, never will. And we're going to circle back to this thought much later, even in the message today or in the EQ time, but our waiting must always lead to trust. You see, I've said it before, but our problems are deeper than psychological or philosophical or sociological. Our problems are theological. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Well, of course he can. Well, we all know what to say, but we, our actions don't prove like we live like that. Can God be trusted? You see, what we have to realize is, is this, that God is not the God we think he is. He's much better and greater. You see, not only is God far beyond our comprehension, he's much grander, much more vast than our puny minds can conceive. You see, God's ways are better. His heart is better. His plans are better. His thoughts are better. All that God is, all that God does is better. It's a simple statement, but it's so true. All that God is, all that God does is better. And because that is true, we shouldn't be surprised when we continually run into problems of not understanding him. We shouldn't be surprised when his answers don't make sense to us. What God wants us to do, I I think of the passage in Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. But it doesn't stop there. We say that phrase a lot of times. It continues on, which is so pertinent for the verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not, or don't trust your own understanding, because you're not going to understand it all. Lean not to thine understanding, but rather in all highways, everything you do, everything you say, everything you think about, acknowledge him, trust him. And you know what's going to happen? He will direct your path. He will guide you. He will give you the clarity that you need when you need it. And as we pick up in chapter 2, as Habakkuk is waiting for God's answer, God gives him three instructions in the next few verses that are very important to set up the next several weeks. Verse number 2, And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. The first thing you ask him to do is this, write down the vision. Simple. You see, you get the impression that Habakkuk was fearful of what God might say. Habakkuk had just literally, utterly complained to God. And again, we've done this. We've complained to God. And before I I really dive into this point, again, I, I can't help but think of children. 
those of us that have parents, or those of us that have parents, those of us that are parents that are raising kids or have already raised kids, have grandkids, you know, you think about the times that your children, your grandkids, whatever, they have just complained, 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 complained. I mean, there's usually an, a limit, right, <laughs> to the parent. There's usually a limit, like, okay, I can only take enough. Like, I can only take so much. For some of you, it's like one complaint, and I'm done. Some of you, it's like 15 or, you know, whatever it is. Whatever your magic number is, there's a limit to your complaining. And then you just, like, lovingly go off on them, right? Loving, loving. Exactly. Lovingly. But there's, there's a limit. And for us, it's just sometimes we, we blow up. We blow up on our children. We blow up at someone else, a friendship. But again, what I don't see here with God is that even though Habakkuk is just complaining and, God, you're not making sense. You're not answering the way I think you should answer. You're not meeting my expectations. God doesn't blow up on him. He could, but he graciously and lovingly gives him an answer and he gives him some stuff to do. He says, or I want you to write down this vision, what I'm going to explain to you. And there's a simple but important truth here that we need to not overlook. You know, Habakkuk was written, I mean, this, this story was some 2,600 years ago. And we wouldn't be studying this book today had Habakkuk not obeyed. It's a simple but important point. What did God tell him to do? I just gave you the point. What did God tell him to do? Write down the vision. So imagine if Habakkuk said, you know what? I'm not going to do that, God. Well, for one very simple thing, we wouldn't be studying it today. Well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal because it's so deeper. When God asks us to do something, what should we do? Anybody? Do it. When God asks us to do something, when God commands us to do something, he expects us to obey. He expects us to do what he has asked us to do, right? Just like those that are parents, expect your children to obey when you ask them to do something. But how many times do your children not? How many times do we as God's children not? So Habakkuk could have been, hey, you know what, God? I'm not going to do that. That's silly. It's, it's stupid. It's foolish. I don't, I don't need to do this. I don't need to write it down. But the writing down was to be permanent for future generations. Again, we are studying this that is so modern, 2,600 years into the future. And it's amazing. The problems that he is dealing with are the same issues we are dealing with today. And Habakkuk is a book that can relate to us with things like 2020 and 2021 and every other year to come. It can relate because things didn't make sense for him. They don't always make sense for us in the day we live. But here's the thing. The reason was Habakkuk wasn't the only one in Judah that needed this message. There were other people that needed this message, and that's why God wanted him to write it down. It was his obligation to share it, just like it's our obligation to share God's message that he has given us. Think about that. So the first thing that God tells him to do is write down the vision. The second thing, verse number 3 for the vision is yet at an appointed time. 
But the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Not only was Habakkuk to write down the vision, but he was to wait for God's answer. Don't you love that? He's already been waiting, but now God says, all right, I want you to wait for a little bit more. The revelation was not just for that day. It was for a future time, really almost 100 years into the future. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that when you, when you pray to God, when you pour your heart out to God for a big thing in your life, sometimes God doesn't seem to answer right away? Don't you love that? That, that is what's going on here. Sometimes it seems like the answer takes forever to come. And I think we can attest to many reasons for this, but one thing that stands out to me in my study the past couple weeks is this. I think one of the reasons that God does that is so that we don't get puffed up in our pride. Because it could be very easy, like, well, every time I pray, God just, you know, answers to every whim and does it exactly when I want him to do. And then it's very easy to be like, well, I don't need God, obviously. You see, everything that God does is for our good, but ultimately it's going to show forth his glory. That's what we have to understand. And God is telling Habakkuk in simple terms, not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. In fact, probably not even in your lifetime, so wait for it. He says it will certainly come. Now this is a promise from God. The Babylonians will be judged. I'm not just using this wicked nation to judge Judah, to judge the Israelites, to judge the Jewish people and then not do something about them. I will balance the scales of justice. But God doesn't work in our timetable. Those things seem to linger. He doesn't delay. So I want you to remember that when you feel like giving up on your prayers. But then the third thing. Not only does God tell him to write down the vision to wait for God's answer. Verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Here's what we have to understand. The third thing that God gave to Habakkuk is this. Trust God's word. Look, these three points are so simple, but sometimes we need the simple reminders in our life. Write down the vision. How how can we take that today? How can we apply that today? You know, it's good to take notes, but really, when you study God's word, I think it's a good thing to write down what God is teaching you, really, so that you can share it with other people. And that's what Habakkuk was going to do as he was writing down the vision. But waiting for God's answer, hey, it's going to come. If God has promised it in his word, if God has promised something is going to happen, it's going to come. And even Babylon, the, the, the destruction, the demise of Babylon, Babylon is going to fall. And really, we're going to kind of look at that a little bit this coming Wednesday and in the future lessons in Revelation. That Babylon the Great, really it's in Revelation referring to the world system. It's going to fall at the end times. All of the wickedness is going to come to an end. And God is going to reign through his son Jesus supreme over all the wickedness. So God is telling Habakkuk, he says, hey, I want you to trust my word. The he in here 
And verses 4 and 5 is referring to Babylon as personified by Nebuchadnezzar, their king. Historically, Babylon was greedy as the grave. The empire spread itself in all directions, conquering cities and towns and provinces and whole nations, and nothing satisfied their hunger for conquest. And really, the important truth here is that they were always conquering but never satisfied. You know, sometimes we do the same thing. I'm not saying we're conquering other people, but we're always pursuing and never being satisfied. We're always pursuing more knowledge or, or more money or more thing, whatever it is, and never satisfied. And you'll never find satisfaction apart from Jesus. But the Babylonians were not satisfied with what they had. And we can relate because how many of us have sometimes not been satisfied with what we have, Right? They weren't satisfied with what they had. They coveted more land, more wealth. They were set out to destroy anyone in their path. And it was really, it was not just one king or one dictator. Many in, in history have followed this same resolve, only to discover that this always conquering, never satisfied, leads to destruction, disappointment, and ultimately death. And we think about this. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians aren't the only ones that are puffed up with pride and self-sufficiency. John warns in 1 John chapter 2 to warn against, he warns us against the pride of life or the vainglory that belongs in this present evil world system which is against God and without God. Look, pride doesn't just puff people up. It also brings them down. Listen to this. A prideful individual delights in the things that God detests. And really, there are many of us in this room that are very, very prideful individuals. In reality, we delight in the things that God, our maker, our creator, detests. And look, this, is, this hits me so deep. Because in my own pride, in my own self-sufficiency sometimes, I go against the very nature of God, the very character of God. And we're going to look more about that aspect next week because in the remaining verses, really starting in verse 5 all the way through verse 20, God gives Habakkuk five woes or five warnings that he condemns. And really, he is condemning Babylon for these things, and he's saying that they're going to lead to their destruction but they are so applicable for us today because there are many individuals, whether in here, in our country, in our culture, that are doing the same things. Look, in the midst of terror, God tells Habakkuk what the people should do. Even when evil is running rampant in society, even when God is not making sense, he doesn't say, all right, just go ahead and give up on me, even though people do that. Well, you know what? I tried it. I tried God for a week, and obviously he didn't answer the way I wanted to, so enough of you, God. I know many of us do that. God says, wait, trust that I will orchestrate it all out, that I will work it out in the end. And he says in verse number four, very important verse, and I wish I had more time to dive into this thought. He says, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but... The just shall live by his faith. Look, nations rise, nations fall, evil will continue. That's not going to change. But the Christian today, 
You don't give up. You don't give in. Why? Because the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, what do you do when they are killing you? When the enemy is destroying you, the just shall live by faith. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Just wait. What do you do when the enemy destroys your home? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your family is taken into captivity? The just shall live by faith. Look, this little phrase tucked away at the end of verse 4 is almost an aside, but it became a hallmark for the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1, he talks about it. Galatians chapter 3. The great reformer Martin Luther. It was a watchword for the Reformation. Martin Luther once said, he said, when the Spirit, when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. This text was to me the true gate of paradise. Here's what I want you to understand with this. And there's so much more, but I don't have time for it. Faith isn't just a word we say, it's a lifestyle we adopt. Faith isn't just a word we say, it is a lifestyle we adopt. It's a lifestyle that is opposite of being puffed up with pride, depending on yourself and your own resources. It has been well said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, it's obeying in spite of consequence and resting in God's faithfulness. Here's what this all boils down to this morning. Waiting and trusting are not easy, are they? They're not easy. But here's what we're seeing in this passage. Here's what it all boils down to. The heart of God's answer. We looked at the heart of Habakkuk's problem, seeing God's seemingly inconsistency and you know, injustice that was going on. But the heart of God's answer is this. Trusting him in trying times. Listen. You can say you trust God all day long. But what we say doesn't always match the way we act. I referenced this a couple weeks ago, even with how we relate to our kids. We say one thing to them, and they're like, but mom, dad, you don't even do that. But we do that same thing with God. I'm going to trust God with all my heart, and I'm not going to lean to my understanding, but then we don't live that way. We don't act like we're actually believing what we're actually saying. I mean, there are so many illustrations about this that we can point to. There's, there's a story of an old acrobat named Blondin. Some of you may have heard this story before. He was an acrobat, a French acrobat in the 1800s. Lived from about 1820 to 1897, I believe it was. And he is famously known for tightrope walking across a portion of Niagara Falls. Now, just imagine that. How many would ever just tightrope walk? I mean, maybe if it's like, you know, this high off the ground, right? I'll do that. But imagine like across Niagara Falls to where if you fall, you're not just going to go swimming. You're going to be swimming with the fishes for a long time, okay? He is famously known for that. And there was a time where he was there and, you know, he was talking to all the people that were gathered around to, to watch what he was about to do and this amazing feat. And he'd ask the crowd, he said, how many believe, and they've, they had seen him do some amazing things in the past, how many believe that I could tightrope across Niagara Falls and a resounding, yes, we believe you. Okay, how many believe that I could do it with someone on my back? Yes, I believe it. 
Who volunteers? Silence. Everyone said, yes, we believe. We trust that you can do that. But then when he asked, who would volunteer to jump on my back as I tightrope across Niagara Falls? No one. No one. You see, no one was willing to climb on his back. None of the people were willing to do what their words plainly meant. Hey, we trust you, Blondin. Everyone was willing to pretend in their belief, and we do the same thing. You see, what we say doesn't always match the way we act. No one would climb on Blondin's back. However, so that the task wouldn't fail, his manager volunteered. (laughs) He jumped on Blondin's back, and again, he has never done this. He is clinging to his back, and minutes later, he finds himself. We should demonstrate this, but we're not. He, he finds himself, oh, well, tightrope across the water right there. Um, he finds himself clinging to Blondin on his back, and, and they start the journey across the portion of Niagara Falls. And again, you can imagine it's probably not just a calm day, especially when you're on water. There's usually always wind. And it's something if you've never done, I mean, you're not, you don't know how to always react and act in certain situations. So as they're walking, things got a little shaky. And as Blondin is walking, he's got that you know, long pole to kind of help stabilize him and balance him, and his manager is on his back. All of a sudden, things start to shift. Because the manager thought that he and Blondin were about to go over into the falls. And as he was going this way, what do you think the manager did? He tried to correct. So he went the other way. Now, in theory, that's what you have to do. We have to correct the course. The wind is shifting, and it's a shift in his balance, and he feels like he is about to die, so what is he trying to do? He is trying to save himself. Blondin's feet freeze. And above the sound of the water, the manager hears Blondin screaming. Every word is an exclamation point. And I want you to listen to this, because this is where the message comes today. As the manager is trying to shift his balance, Blondin stops and he says these words, Stop! Only cling to me. If you want to live, do nothing but cling to me. The manager listened because he knew that Blondin was right. He adjusted his grip, and I'm sure he got a little tighter, He adjusted his grip onto Blondin, closed his eyes, and didn't try to autocorrect when things got a little messed up. All he did was cling to Blondin. And you know what happened? They made it across safely. And here's where it comes to us today. You see, we can say we trust God all day, but what we say doesn't always match the way that we act. And really what Blondin said is really words that we need to say and we need to hear from our Heavenly Father. And really, when you study his word, that is what he is saying to us. Stop. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Cling to 
me. If you want to live, do nothing but cling to me. But that means I'm not in control. You were never supposed to be in control. You know what you're supposed to do? Cling to the one who is in control. And that's what God asked of us, his children. And that's what God was trying to get Habakkuk to understand. And listen, here's, here's the, let's boil it all down. Does your belief in God extend to a trust in God? Will your belief become action? Does it actually, what you say, match the way you live? Because if we investigated everyone's life in here, I dare say there is a high majority of people that what they say doesn't match how they live based on God's word. Because we all know what we're supposed to say. That's why we're in church, right? We all know the, the Christianese language that we're supposed to say and that we spit out a lot of times. But how we live doesn't match what we say, what comes out of our mouth. You know, every week I've given action steps thus far and continue on with that narrative. Here's what I've asked you and challenged you to do. First of all, as Habakkuk has done, pour your heart out to God when things don't make sense. When you can't make sense of it, pour your heart out to God. He wants to hear. He wants to listen. He is eager to listen. We also said it's time to learn to see the bigger picture, not just what's in front of you. But thirdly, wait for his reply. This is where we left off two weeks ago. When you pour your heart out to God, learn to see the bigger picture that, that God is in control and that he has a method to this seeming madness. So wait, wait for it. Wait for his reply. And then finally, cling to him and trust. You see, belief may lead to trust, but belief alone does not guarantee you will trust. That leaves us with a very simple yet deeply cutting question. Will you trust God in trying times? Yes, I will. As a preacher, and I'm not trying to say this in a negative way, I honestly, I could care less what you say. It doesn't mean anything to me. Because I've had a lot of people that have said things to me over the years, and they never intended to back it up. And it doesn't really mean anything to God when, God, I'll trust you. And then we go out and do everything but trust him. You know what I would like to see as a pastor? You know what God wants to see? That your action matches your words. So will you trust God in trying times? And the key truth of this all, we're going to try to get just a little deeper here in the next few minutes in EQ, but our waiting must always lead to trust. That simple. Our waiting must always lead to trust. God wants us to wait. Habakkuk was almost to finally, all right, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on this watchtower. Just wait for your answer. Basically, I can almost think of Jonah in some way. I'm not saying it was, but, you know, Jonah, after he preached to Nineveh, what did he do? Many of them were saved, and then he goes back and kind of on the hill, he looks, looks over Nineveh. All right, go ahead and destroy him now, God. In, in some way, I can almost see that from Habakkuk. It's almost like, all right, go ahead and answer me the way that I expect you to answer me, Lord. But the key thing is, will you trust 
Will you trust God in trying times? Some of you today maybe have never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never asked him to be your savior. You've never called upon the name of the Lord. That's the start. That's the start. You have to say, Lord, I can't do this life alone. I can't do it without you. I'm going to cling to you. God, forgive me of my sins. Save me of myself, of my wickedness. You know, that's the first step. Clinging to him in, in trust of salvation that he is the only one that can save us. And once you're saved, it's continuing to cling to him. It's not like, you know, after 10 years, after 20 years of Christian, Christian life, you can let up the grip. You can start, you know, walking on your own and you don't really need God. No, no, no. You always need him to guide you, to direct you, to lead you. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your understanding. All your ways acknowledge, trust him. He will direct your path. Heads bowed and eyes closed.